Hello everyone, Maggie here, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. We're so happy to welcome Dr. Jim Hiller to the podcast today. Dr. Hiller is an associate professor and coordinator of undergraduate music therapy studies at the University of Dayton. Jim's scholarship addresses theories supporting music therapy practice, music therapy education and training, clinical supervision, research epistemologies, clinical improvisation, the intersections of music and emotions, and the impact of songs in therapy. Dr. Hiller was one of my music therapy professors at the University of Dayton while I obtained my undergraduate degree there. We initially bonded over our shared love for music-centered and client-centered approaches and have continued to stay in touch over the years. So today I've asked him to sit down with me and talk about his personal philosophy of music therapy, his work in behavioral health facilities, and working with people diagnosed with substance abuse disorder. So with that, let's get started. It's so nice to see you. <laughs> hey, man. I, <laughs> I invited Dr. Hiller um, onto the podcast today to talk a little bit about music-centered music therapy and his work in the behavioral health setting there in Dayton, Ohio. Um, so I guess we'll just kind of get right into it. Um, so I sent Dr. Hiller a couple questions and had him think a lot about music therapy his own personal philosophy of music therapy, um, how he takes that into his work. Um, and I asked him to share a little bit about that with us today. So question one, could you give us just a brief overview of your own personal philosophy of music therapy? Yeah. So I had to really think about this. Um, it's a hard question. It is a hard question. And I, I make students think through this process. Um, nobody ever asks me to think through this. So, <laughs> yeah, so I had to stop for a while and think about it and, and figure out where my beliefs are. And, um, and so, f first of all, I, I wear two hats. Um, I'm, I'm, I still think of myself as a clinician, even though I'm not regularly in practice, but I, I do end up working with, with different folks through practica and so on, and supervising that. Um, and then as an educator, so, so I think I bring um, some different thinking to both of those, um, but in, at, at its essence, I've embraced um, Bruce's integral thinking about music therapy, and I'll, I'll talk about that because not a lot of people um, have a sense of what that is. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been writing about that in my last few articles and chapters and so on, and, and it's become the, the cr a crux of our uh, undergraduate program. So... 
Um, what that means is it, to be integral means to have uh, for music therapy. It means to have a, a strong sense of a variety of theoretical positions from which you make clinical decisions when you're with clients. And there are numerous positions, right? We think about psychodynamic work versus behavioral work, uh, cognitive behavioral work, music-centered work, what you mentioned, um, resource-oriented theory. And, and these, these have different takes on um, what it means to be a person in therapy, in uh, the client. You know, what is their role? What, how do we look at what their problems may be um, is somewhat dictated by the theory, theoretical stance we take. Mm -hmm. um, and what music means in the process of, of being in therapy and, and how, how, how music matters to therapy, how the therapeutic relationship matters to therapy is all different in these different um, theoretical positions. Mm -hmm. So integral theory is, uh, or integral thinking is essentially as you understand your client's needs in the moment, um, you take a particular stance to, in, or, in order to be most helpful to them, um, right? So mm -hmm. um, we'll talk a little bit about, about addictions work later on. Um, mm -hmm. And I can approach that from a behavioral stance or from a cognitive stance or from a music-centered stance or from a humanistic stance, and I make that decision based on my understanding of the client um, mm -hmm. and how how I can be of help to them, what they need from me, what they need from the music, from the experience of the music. Um, and so that might, it might even change in the moment. So I might walk in with a humanistic stance and we're very open and we're working together and uh, perhaps I recognize or we both recognize that um, there's an immediate need. So somebody has, has um, really strong anxiety uh, attack, if you will. And so I might immediately shift to, more, to a more behavioral or a cognitive stance in order to address that need right then, then and there. I can't, okay. I can't remain uh, a compassionate humanist um, while that person is in a crisis, right? I need to, I yeah. need to act, and so I need to know these different theories and how they function in clinical work, and then be flexible and be mm -hmm. able to to move from one to the other. And to be integral is is not to be eclectic. Eclectic is a, a kind of a, a a looser way of thinking where. Um, you might, I guess randomness can come in into that, yeah. how I make decisions and so on. Integral yeah. is I really come from a place of, of understanding, of knowledge, of each theoretical stance. And I choose yeah. that very intentionally. Yeah. yeah, it's purposeful. Right, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because clients need different things at different times, and it's and I can't force my the way I wish to practice on them. I have to flex with what they need. Sure. Like, how do you think you balance that personally? Because I feel like that is a lot to put on yourself in the moment, you know, to be all of these different things um, and to be flexible. Um, So I guess my question is how, because I'm thinking about how some therapists are not a good match for some clients, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I guess that comes more personality wise or, you know, past trauma, if there's triggers there. Um, so I guess, how do you balance all of that in the moment? Um, I don't know if there's really an answer for that or if it's just kind of something that comes naturally for you. Yeah. Um, Well, I think, um, to be truly integral is, is advanced practice. Okay. And and yeah. really comes from experience, um, yeah. And and working with a, pr- a pretty wide range of folks, and um, and also studying, really understanding the the theoretical um, stances, and and especially how music works in those different, you know, what's music's role in psychodynamic work, what's music's role in cognitive work, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes time. I mean, we can read about it, and you and I talked about it in class um, years ago. And and for a young therapist, so this is when, as I think about, you know, I'm an educator as well as a clinician. How do I how do I prepare students at at a basic level of understanding a handful of different theoretical positions that that they could draw mm-hmm. upon. And then it's really from experience that they, if they, if they are thinking that way um, in the clinical moment, that they be really reflexive and um, it might be after their sessions and they say, gee, what, what did I do? What was, what was useful, what was not? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Right, and you essentially collect experiences and categorize them for yourself so that you understand sometimes we don't know why we're making the decisions we're making we make them because it seems right in the moment but it's important Mm -hmm. to reflect afterwards and say why why was that where I felt I needed to go yeah right and and categorize that and put that away and little by little we build that repertoire of of thinking so if i'm hearing you correctly it's a lot of experience and then also being reflexive absolutely Um, reflexivity is is key yeah yeah okay i think that answers my question thank you (laughs) um okay so can, is there anything I, else that you'd like I, to add? Yeah, can I say one more yeah. thing about integral practice? So so another key key aspect of integral work and what I think helps young students learn and learn how to st- at least start positioning themselves um, 
differently as the client needs is the the concepts of outcome oriented work and experience oriented work mm-hmm. right and and you and I have talked about this a lot uh, mm-hmm. in, in the past so outcome oriented work is when I really recognize what the client's need is I, I recognize how, how a music experience can address that, and I act and I go with that. I have a sense of what I, I want to see my client or witness my client experience um, that is therapeutic, that I, I just mm-hmm. very clearly... So the person with anxiety, right, that, that I mentioned, um, the outcome is we want to diminish that anxiety experience uh, through whatever, uh, for breathing exercises or whatever, um, I know what needs to happen. And so I Mm -hmm. act. And so there's an outcome uh, determined before the therapeutic action happens. Right. Right. If you think about sessions with maybe... um, um, groups of kids uh, with IDD in a classroom, for instance, mm-hmm. um, more often than not, you have a plan and you have an understanding of the different needs of the kids and mm-hmm. the different academic needs and maybe physical needs and so on. And so you do have an outcome in mind as you design your, your music mm-hmm. experiences. So I know that I'm probably going to be behavioral uh, uh, at some point in that process, or mm-hmm. I know that I'm I'm just going to open the door and let let everybody experience music through a music centered stance. Yep. Versus then experience oriented um, practice, which is uh, as we talk about addictions work or adult psych work or adolescent psych work, even we don't know when we walk in the door that day what the client needs. Mm-hmm. They may or not, maybe even who the client is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And they may not know what they need, right? And so in experience-oriented work, we make some initial decisions about music engagement in order to bring the person in, into a musicing process. And mm-hmm. from that, rec- to uh, try to recognize what the need is in the moment. And then... Yeah to go from there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's the experience of the music that brings forth understanding of the need, the goal, the objective, whatever. And then we act, sure. act from there, mm-hmm. right? Different ways of, of approaching a session. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Well, um we can move on to question two. Are you are you satisfied with I'm, I'm satisfied. question one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so question two um, is me asking you to explain music-centered um, music therapy and mm. that approach. Um, and I was curious if you give a, a brief definition of that. Okay. So music-centered work... Um, from the perspective of Ken Agin, who, who really wrote about this in, in a 2005 book called Music-Centered Music Therapy, uh, Ken Agin is um, a Nordoff-Robbins trained therapist, 
um, is the primary researcher at the NYU Nordorf Robbins uh, Clinic and and graduate program. Um, and so his thinking is that music in itself, music experiences in of themselves are therapeutic. That that to engage someone in musicking is in itself therapeutic. The experience of being in that music is therapy. And so Mm -hmm. a client who develops um, in the therapy situation, develops musical skill, um, brings forth musical musicality, um, uh, some some deep sense of, of enjoying and, and living in music and making music um, is a healthy process in itself. And by their engaging in music um, at deeper levels, that's the therapy you're you're, in, you're working musically. Um, the client is demonstrating intelligence and emotionality and musicality, and personality, and all these very healthy aspects of the person are revealed in the music. And Mm -hmm. so um, Ken's notion is that we don't really need um, goals from outside of music, that we don't, like, music isn't um, a means to, to solving some problem for the client. In, right. Instead, it's a medium that you engage the client in and and healthy growth and, and health is promoted through being in the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pretty and cool stuff. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It's it's, uh, you know, quite honestly, at this point in time in the United States, it's hard to convince an insurance company to pay for deep engage, deep musical engagement if if you were to write your documentation purely around music right, um, right. it's so so there's a, there's controversy there um, in terms of a practicality and yet this is practiced all over the world and places where socialized medicine is in place um, and you don't have the, the you're not proving to an insurance company constantly that, that what you're doing is meaningful and useful and observable and measurable and all those those uh, concepts. Um, it's it's a viable way of working. Mm-hmm. So but but I'll also add to that one can practice from a music centered stance. Um, and still, still accomplish the sorts of um, observable, measurable um, goals in in the therapy situation. What music centeredness can do is allow the therapist to think musically. From the time the client walks in to the time they leave, it's about music, and so mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about. Um, uh, neural pathways of why the client is or isn't doing X, Y, or Z. Um, I'm I'm not thinking about um, 
their id ego or superego or, you know, their defense mechanisms. I'm not thinking about those theoretical things. I'm thinking about music. Mm-hmm. And the, the more I stay in the music that way, the deeper I'm going to help the client experience music. Yep. Right? And again, then, from the theory, it's, it's healthy. It's health-promoting to, to stay in the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. It's, um, it's something that I think you and I both um, initially kind of bonded over at my time in UD um, and something that I still... Um, practice and hold dear to my heart so yeah um thank you for putting that eloquently (laughs) (laughs) all right um i was also curious if you could describe some of the work that you do at um nova there in dayton um which is a behavioral health facility yeah so this is a, a inpatient um substance use disorder treatment center um, so our students work with uh, women's groups and uh, men's groups. Um, and I work with the men's groups, uh, of course. Um, and um, the work we do there is all group oriented. So our groups run anywhere from um, um, maybe eight to 12 to 15 individuals in the session at any time, typically around 10, 8 to 10. Um, it, our practicum happens twice a week, so we see these, these men uh, two times a week. Students uh, plan and design sessions, and we, we carry them out. Um, and I kind of guide that process, and I get, I get involved in that process a lot. Um, as the students are learning how to how to work with um, adult groups um, in mm-hmm. that in that environment, yeah. So it's it's also a twenty eight day program, which is real common. So there's always per session there are new people coming in and people have been there a while leaving, and so there's always a always a changing group dynamic as individuals move in and out of the group. That's also real common in, in addictions work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as we previously discussed, um, goals and outcome-oriented music therapy in particular, it can depend on the client, of course, and like their needs, and you might not know what those needs are as you're going into the room. But right. are there some overarching goals that you do have at this facility that are more common um, that you use music to address? Um, um, Well, the overarching goal is sobriety, right? Right. (laughs) Um, And I don't know that we have any direct inroads in treating that. But um, Mm -hmm. part of what happens as someone uh, detoxes and starts working through a program, a a 28-day program, um, you see individuals become clearer uh, in their thinking. They become more grounded, um, less internally focused. Um, um, 
more open to ideas and the learning that, that can happen in that environment. A lot of cognitive work happens there in that, um, uh, I, I call it PEP, um, psychoeducational processes. So there's a lot of worksheets that the, the staff therapists and, and so on work with the men uh, regularly. So I, I actually was working at Nova when I was at Dayton and I was with the men's unit there with Dr. Hiller. Mm. And I think um, some of the overarching goals that we had were to support these people through their journey of sobriety and giving them tools and resources for when they get out of this program. So how they can use music um, when they get out of this program to support their journey. Um, and then also just giving them an outlet for some of that pent up energy that they may have. Um, and then also I think group cohesion too, and learning how to relate to others um, while using music as a medium. So I think those are some of the things that we kind of focused on, like some overarching goals that we had going in. Would you add anything to that? No, that was beautiful. Thank you for saving me there. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's okay. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a very cool practicum experience. And, and what you recognize as you articulate those different aims, that they're not aims that you can, in, on any day, plan for how the uh -huh. men will be open to embracing or learning from, right? And so that's, yeah. the, that's the, the exciting part is that you walk in the door and you're meeting these people, essentially meeting who they are that day, every time, mm -hmm. and, and helping them to determine what they need and reading their emotion, reading their energies, and, and collectively, quite often collectively, um, coming to some realization of what, what we can do today to help you on your process. Yeah, yeah. And that requires a lot of flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> so the next question, I think we kind of already answered. It was, how does your philosophy and approach of music therapy influence the work that you do at this facility? And I think that you kind of answered that when I asked about your personal philosophy and integral thinking and mm -hmm. pur purposeful musicking. Um, Yes. Yeah. So uh, would you like to add anything to that? Um, I don't think so. I, this this kind of environment and adult adult psych in particular, perhaps not chronic um, adult psych work, but um, where folks can move toward insight, um, the stance of of being open and being reflexive and and um, client centered and music centered. Um, makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, I also asked if you could provide just a brief example of an experience that you might use with this population. I feel like music therapy is just one of those things that there's just so much um, 
easier to understand when you experience it or are um, engaged in some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. experience that you might use in this kind of setting. Um, so for those people who went to different schools and uh-huh. were trained in different ways of thinking and music therapy, I'm just curious how, you know, this more music-centered um, integral thinking approach can um, influence your decision-making for, you know, the experiences that you provide for this population. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I think of, to describe a single experience um, is, you know, it's um, it's a little contrived because it's a, it's a minute moment, right? Essentially. Right. Um, but nonetheless, so, so I'll try to, um, um, put a meaningful context around one of the experiences that, that, um, I've been involved in. So, uh, at, at one time in a group, the group was probably, uh, 10 or 11 people. Um, they had had, we, we see them around, 10 o'clock um, in the morning. Um, they come into the music therapy session after a verbal group um, session, their initial uh, group work uh, of the day. And they came into the session pretty wound up, um, pretty tense. Um, and, um, you know, students plan sessions regardless of knowing that we might throw the plan right out the window, and this is mm-hmm. what happened, right? So they came in pretty wound up, and um, we said, "So, what do you need today?" You know, it's even you know the the lead therapist from their group let us know that things were tense and that that it was a difficult morning, and so we offered, you know, what what do you think you need? What what would be of help to you um, in for your day to get you through the day and to um, keep moving on your recovery process. And the the overarching theme from the men was that they they were wound up and they needed a way to calm down, right? Uh, a needed mm-hmm. a way to um, regulate where they were um, and bring themselves into a more stable space um, and release some tension and so on. So mm-hmm. um, we moved into um, a referential improvisation. So a referential improvisation, it means that the music that's made refers to something outside of the music itself. So it's programmatic. Um, for those who might not know the, that terminology. So we, we did what we call a dynamic referent. And so uh, the men chose instruments for themselves based on simply how they were drawn to the instruments that we had available. Um, and we talked about um, labeling the energy that they had in that moment and then labeling where where they might move to, you know. So they were they used words like um, well, like wound up, 
like um, tense, um, uh, angry, um, words like that that had a lot of kind of just tension in it. Um, and then we talked about where do you want to go? Where, where can we move that, um, to another mm-hmm. uh, energy? And so words like calm, soothing, uh, or soothed, relaxed, um, mm-hmm. uh, came to the fore. And so for a dynamic referent, the, the group plays the initial referent, the angry, anxi- anxious, whatever, and then over time shifts that, um, that improvisation to the idea of relaxed and calm and so on. That's the dynamic referent. And so the idea being that they can feel a change in the way their actions on instruments can, can slow, can become softer. Uh, the timbres they play might become softer rather than aggressive and banging. Um, mm-hmm. Right, and it's a it's a challenge for the clients to take that object of the instrument that they're expressing their emotional energy on, and do something physically and cognitively that that changes, and mm-hmm. therefore, you know, maybe not truly changing their physiology, uh, but the at least their experience of moving from one emotional state to another emotional state. Right. Right. And so this is, uh, to me, um, I do a lot of improvisational work, and so this is pretty common to to work in this way. What happened Mm -hmm. that day was they very easily got into the aggressive, um, loud, banging, booming, crashing sounds And then as the group played for a minute or more and tried to shift to the relaxed calm, they could only go so far. Like the, what, what I would anticipate, um, which matters because I've done these kinds of experiences for myself and in groups and by myself, that I would expect the tempo to slow the timers to to become more soothing. I'd, I'd expect these musical things to happen um, mm-hmm. that, you know, a pulse would emerge and it would be a relaxed, flowing sort of pulse. Um, yeah. They never quite got there. And yeah. that, for them, was really telling. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we re- gave it time and we gave it time and, and we waited for it to to soothe, it never really did. And mm-hmm. so that brought to awareness uh, of the men that they really needed to find ways and create ways for themselves to, to go beyond that, that uh, level, that, that underlying energy to find a way through whatever means, maybe through listening to music that's much more... Um, calming and having slower tempos and so on and gentle timbres and um mm-hmm. right or or to be involved in making music somehow that's that way um mm-hmm. right to to find a way to bring themselves further along that path that because they yeah. recognized that they really needed to find that mm-hmm. and, and they couldn't find it 
Yeah. Right. And how that's insightful. And, and that was important yeah. for them. And so that became then part of, of um, the rest of the session and um, subsequent sessions where we brought in um, uh, music assisted relaxation music and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you said that you, well, I guess, did you allow the group to control this dynamic or were you somewhat pushing them in a certain direction? Um, no, I was involved in the musicking, but I was essentially mirroring where they were at. Um, right. I, I, as I recall, I did attempt to bring tempo down, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't matched. The men couldn't latch on yeah. to it and, and bring it down. Fascinating, yeah. right? Fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, that just creates such a good talking point and such an insightful moment for those people, too. Yeah. And also just a good use of energy uh, from them, right. you know, if they were feeling that way, to be able to release some of that in a productive way, I'm sure was helpful to an extent, you know? Yep. Um, I think so. Yeah. So I think that also answers my last question. Um, I think so. so yeah. yeah. <laughs> how we thought through getting there. Yeah. Right. So I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to sit down with me this morning and talk about some of these things. Um, rack your brain like a, a student mm. and kind of go back to basics and the foundation of your work. And yeah, I, I really appreciate it. It's been refreshing to have a conversation with you after so long yeah. about all this stuff. Me um, too. Brings joy to my heart. I'm glad. <laughs> me too. Yeah. So I also wanted to mention that Dr. Hiller and Dr. Gardstrom, which is another professor at the University of Dayton, um, who's also retiring soon. Um, but she and Dr. Hiller are, um, or they did write a book about improvisation and outcome-oriented and experience-oriented work. I Look just, at that. I just got it. Look at that. I love the cover, <laughs> too. That's a cool cover. Yep. So this is one of, of a series of four. Um, so okay. this is improvisational. There's also been one published already on composition methods, and we are working on recreative methods, and then there will be a receptive methods book as well. And a lot of it has to do with decision-making and procedures, um, um, how, to, how to get there. Yeah, and that's kind of what we talked about today, too, so that's a perfect <laughs> leeway into the book. Um, yeah. I know I'll definitely be getting a copy of that you will <laughs> <laughs> all right dr hiller well thank you so much um is there any final thoughts that you'd like to contribute um i don't think so keep the okay. keep the music fresh yeah keep it going yeah For show notes and resources in today's episode and all episodes, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the content and announcements. We'll see you next time.